1: This is a Crowd Podcast. Welcome back to the French Rugby Podcast with me, Tim Groves, ex-Scotland international Johnny Beattie and former France hooker Benjamin Kayser. We've got an All Black joining us on the show a bit later on and we'll have a bit of a chat about all the goings on in French rugby at the moment as well. But you were on holiday with the in-laws when we spoke last week, weren't you, Benji? So are you back and well rested or how was it?
2: Right. So we, we did not go Thank you for asking But we did not go We did not go to the French Riviera That's that's what I'm going to tell you The, the famous Côte d'Azur
1: The English Riviera
2: The English Riviera <laughs> Yeah Yeah it, <laughs> it got a little bit oversold uh, by, by the in-laws But no Listen Going away is going away And I think I'm becoming oh, I hate to say this I'm becoming a little bit British I mean it's 10 degrees The sun is out And I am I think I'm in the tropics Right <laughs> I'm in the Caribbean I'm, I'm swimming in the sea Freezing my nuts off Trying to build sandcastles but listen, the, the coast was beautiful. Just being outside was beautiful. It was really cute just to see people. You know, like I think I mentioned to this this to you guys last week that you're walking about terraces that just open and guys are freezing outside drinking a pint, shivering. But it's still Happy. like everybody—they almost want to cheer at you. Everybody's <laughs> like, going, "Hey, you know, like we're out, we're out." So uh, no, no, listen, just just going out—the uh, simple things of life, of a bit of sea, a bit of a bit of fun. Uh, the girls playing around trying to catch crabs, which obviously we didn't. Um, and pretend that we're fishermen and, and, and catching shrimp. But I mean that's 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 the reality of it. But it was great fun. And you've actually been swimming in the sea, Benji, the English Sea. Of course, of course. I tried to swim off, well, yeah. Tried to swim towards France, you know, to pretend <laughs> like I was doing something, but I didn't get very far, mate. And to be honest, I was fucking freezing got back out and I see three little ladies who probably were 75 with a beanie. I thought they were going to put a wet suit on and whatever. <laughs> Nothing. Gloves, beanies are like, hello, chilly out there. I was like, yeah, yeah, pretty chilly. And they swam for about 45 minutes, went like two miles offshore or something. <laughs> and I, I, I barely like put my, my tippy toes in there just to impress my my six-year-old. But it was enough.
1: Johnny, any swimming in the sea in Hasegore or...? <laughs>
2: Too cold. It was too cold, mate.
0: I think I'm becoming French then. If you're becoming British, Benji. Um, no, Saturday I was up in Paris, which was good fun with Canal+. Plus. Did the, um, the derby that we are talking about last week. Did cast against Toulouse, which is actually a great game. Some young kids that were superb, like really good to watch. Uh, Sunday ended up at Senos Beach. And it wasn't, I mean, it's not warm enough for me to strip off. So I must be becoming French. But look, sun was out. We had a burger, we had a beer at the beach. This is lockdown. In fr- I'm like, what lock? This isn't lockdown. Like you can go to the beach as long as it's 10K away from your house and have a burger and a beer. So no, I'm delighted. Um, we've got one more week of this lockdown of having the kids back at home and then kids are all back to school. So just enjoying having them home for another week and then getting my freedom back.
1: Well, we'll get our guest on shortly, but I've got a little bit of a surprise for you both before then, because we had Zach Holmes on last week, didn't we? He was telling us about his upcoming French citizenship test. <laughs> You know what's coming. We'll find out Zach
2: got on in the coming weeks. Hey, how much are we linked inside the head, Tim? Because I was saying I'm becoming British and Johnny's saying he's becoming French, right? So we're actually feeding into your thing already.
1: Absolutely. We're about to find out who's the most French, I think. So um, we'll yeah. find out from Zach how he got screwed. on in the coming weeks and whether your advice, Benji, you about... How he should slip the examiner a case of red, whether that went down well or not.
2: So Zach Holmes is is currently in custody, right? You know that. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's not going to be playing this weekend because he got shit advice from a Frenchman who's who's becoming British and a and a Scottish French who's becoming Basque. So imagine the worst.
0: A Scottish French is about to lose his French nationality because I'm assuming I'm about to fail a French test that's about to be slid on. Is that what's
1: happening? The pressure's on, Johnny. The they can't. No, on. they
0: can't take it off me. I've got it. I've got it now. Yeah. It's too late.
1: We're not sure where Zach is, but he'll be—he'll uh, be in touch in less than an hour. He gone, but he's passed over some of the questions. So, um,
0: oh, no. you
1: two up for it? Go on. No, uh, no. <laughs> right. So apparently, and you'll be able to tell us this, Johnny, because you've done this before. <laughs> so, am uh, I right in thinking the test normally comes in three parts? So the first part is a language test, where you have to be able to listen and understand in French, and then speak some French. So we're not going to do that because you two will both nail that. So that's easy. <laughs> done. And then the third part is an interview with someone from the French government and I don't have any on dial, so we're not (laughs) going to do that either. But the second part is some questions on French culture and history. I think there's about 60 in the actual test, so we're not going to do that many, but we'll just do a few and see how you get on. So question number one, which is the longest river in France? (sighs) I'll give you options. I'll give you options. No options. No <laughs> options. Come on. Isn't this what happens in the test? You get options in the test, Johnny, or not? Uh, I don't I don't know. No. I've got a French passport, mate. And no. they're never going
2: to take it away from me. But they didn't
0: ask you like, what's the longest? They were just like, can you, can you give us
1: the name of a river? And you're like, I can do that. Johnny, I think the test got harder since you did it. <laughs> These are official <laughs> questions. So I'll give you options. The Seine, the Garonne, the Rhone, the Loire. Next one, but come on. You both got your answers for that one. Yeah. Yep. yep. Right. Do you want to, do you want to read them out after three? There's no cheating. Cause you've written them down. La Loire. Loire. Very good. Both right. Neck and neck. <laughs> right. Question number two. What do the colors of the French flag symbolize? So
2: <laughs> hang on. Do you want me to give a, give it a crack and then you can copy? So I, I thought that one of them was blood. Do you want to call them mate? i <laughs> I'm here, bud. <laughs> Is one of them blood? Ben, does that sound right? But I, I have no idea. All I meant, I think it's basically liberté, égalité, fraternité. You know, it's the three words that symbolize the French Republic. But I, I've, I've never heard that it was, that that's what the colors represented. I'm just thinking if there's three things that are associated with the flag, it's the three words, liberté, égalité, fraternité. I was going to
0: say nobility and blood.
1: We start so well with question number one. What's happened? <laughs> um, you've hit one there, I think. Blood or nobility? Apparently, they stand for the blue is for nobility. Nice. Okay, is um bourgeois? Yes. The red is for bourgeois. Wait. You can tell I've oh, studied this
0: it's coming back,
2: but the white I've got no idea. Apparently it's the clergy. Mate, no, that's this that's a shit question. Next one. <laughs>
1: <laughs> question number three. When was the third republic formed? Oh, no. I'll give you the options. 1830, 1848. 1875 or 1885?
2: All I know is that at the moment, France is in the fifth Republic. If that can help, <laughs> Johnny, I know at the moment, it's the fifth one, but what, what the hell is the third one? I don't know. I'm going to go... Did you, is one of them 1885?
1: One of them is, yeah.
2: Yeah, I'll, I'll put 1885. Are you? T- if you're telling me that, Scott Spidding, if you're telling me that uh, Anthony Classe knew the answers of when the third Republic in France was created... I will eat a rat. So the
0: thing is, it's ridiculous, but you're given a booklet. So you get given this intensive booklet to study for two weeks, and then you can bring out all these answers. But if they stick in there, I'm going to say one of the last two. I'm, just to be different, I'm going to go
1: 1875. Johnny is correct.
2: Well done, mate. <laughs> oh,
1: my. Right. Question number four. How many questions are there? Ten. We'll do ten. Oh. we do ten? Right, okay. We'll speed up. <laughs> how many french regions are there regions regions are there 18 12 13 or 5 this is really a shit question
2: do you know why because it it's just, just changed. changed it just changed about about 18 months ago or something this might
1: be the old version then who knows
2: i think 18 yeah
1: same i think they were 24 There's down to 18 now or something or whatever spot on both correct what is the name of the current French Minister of the Interior? Edouard Philippe, Christophe Castanier, Gérald Darmanin, or François Beyrou?
2: <laughs> I'm laughing because Beyrou is, is a very funny character. He was, he was never been a minister. Well, I think maybe he was Minister of Agriculture, but like years and years ago. Absolutely loves his rugby, by the way. Completely linked to our guest because he's born and bred in Po. And he still, like, represents Béarn every, everywhere that he goes. But he's that funny guy that he, is really, is he the guy with the big nose? Yeah, the massive ears. Yeah, he's a legend. <laughs> he's, Even I know about is, him. It's weird. But he's, he's he's absolutely lovely. And all the rugby boys love him as well.
1: So yeah. we've ruled him out. Who are the other three? Darmanin.
2: Gérard Darmanin. Johnny? I don't know. When I did it, I think it was Edward Philippe, but it's probably changed since then. No, no. Edward Philippe was the one with... You remember? He was half, yeah, half his beard was gray over there. Remember? <laughs> he got sacked he he got bumped off Benji gets the points Edouard Philippe was the prime minister six months ago about eight months ago and his number two was Christophe Castanier he he was like his minister or something and now the new minister is Darmanin okay I have to make up for it considering that I absolutely cocked up the ones before you know I'm trying (laughs) to
1: throw my science there number six France has 43 UNESCO World Heritage Sites which is the most visited such site in Normandy (laughs) Is it Mont Saint-Michel, La Havre, the Allied Landing Beaches, or the Abbey Church of saint savin sur garton It's a good question, actually.
0: I don't know what the most visitors. I'm going to go for the one that I visited, which is the Landing Beaches in Normandy.
2: Mm. I think it's the Mont Saint-Michel. And he's right. It, it's a good uh, instinctive answer, Johnny, because I reckon those those beaches, for one, are absolutely stunning. They're full of history. They've got crazy good museums on there. It's really worth a visit if whoever wants to like, you know, walk into the steps of such a historical uh, moment, uh, but I'm not sure they're classified. I don't
1: know. Number seven, for what event did Gustave Eiffel construct ah, the Eiffel Tower?
2: Exposition Universelle.
1: You might have to get a year for this, Benji.
2: Oh, no clue, mate. The year, no clue. The
1: 1889 World's Fair, the 1867 World's Fair, the end of the Franco-Prussian War in 1871, or the conception of the French Republic. In 1870, I'm gonna go 89. I'm gonna go 67. Johnny gets it. Benji helped him, I think, there, but Johnny gets it.
2: Nah, so it's all right. And it was a it was a radio station originally. It was to 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 test radio. It was one of the first. That's why they basically created something metallic that was so high that they can do some tests on radio and um, how do you call that weather
1: forecasting? Who was Jean Moulin? Was he a high ranking French civil servant? A resistance fighter who died in 1943, a French politician guillotined in 1794, a military general who died in 1970, or president of the republic 1981 to
2: 95. Yeah, I think it's number one. He was one of the leader of the rebellion when France got occupied in the Second World War. France was split in two. North was dominated by Germany. The south was the gouvernement de Vichy, which is next to Clermont. but they called the ils ont pris le maquis, and all those guys were basically hide like the, you know, the civil army, the the milice they were going, hiding to the mountains and stuff and trying to create resistance. And he was one of them. Yeah. Part of the French resistance. I remember studying
1: this. I was going to say just for the benefit of the listeners, Johnny was agreeing before Benji gave that very complete (laughs) answer. Point to both of you for that one. When was the death penalty banned in France? 1981, 1991, 1971, or
2: 2001? That is crazy recent. That is freakish. I'll go 1981 same i think it's 1981
1: both correct well done
2: that's crazy
1: recent whoa. right last question how many people speak the french language in the world and in how many countries oh well 200 million and 70 countries 150 million and 65 countries 250 million and 75 countries or 150 million and 75 countries Oh mate how hard is that, that one?
2: That's a lottery. Poor. Out of complete guess, I'll go 250, 75. I am going to go 200 million and
0: 70.
1: I can tell you, you were neck and neck before that last question. <laughs> and one of you has got it right.
2: You know that if you say Johnny, you guys are going to do the rest of the episode on your own. Huh? You know that, right? <laughs>
1: Johnny takes it. Oh, oh yes. my word.
0: Do you know what? I haven't been nervous doing one episode of that podcast, this podcast so far. <laughs> but I was absolutely
2: kicking my bricks at the start. That was intense. Mate, I texted Stefan Armitage. He was going to come dressed as a cop. He was going to knock on your door tomorrow morning, mate, to get you to back, up, back up your shit. You can get out of this country. If you fail this test, you're gone. Oh.
1: I think, Benji, your French citizenship isn't in doubt, so you're fine. But, Johnny, I think you need 70% to pass, and that last, last question got you to 70 so you're fine.
2: Cheers, boys. Oh, well done, buddy.
1: Well, let's get our guest on now, then, and find out if he's on his way to taking the French citizenship test in a few years' time. <laughs> Pose All Black number 8, Luke Whitelock joins us. How are you?
3: Uh, good, thank you, guys. Um, thanks for having me.
1: No worries. Thanks for coming on, and we'll get on to the rugby in a minute, but we've just been doing a mock french citizenship test with johnny and benji so can you see yourself staying long enough to be doing that in a few years time
3: <laughs> yeah oh, who knows i mean anything's possible um but yeah just still trying to grasp the uh, language uh, at this stage so it's been proving pretty very difficult
0: how have you settled in generally mate because obviously you've come to france i'm a good mate of your your brother adam i played with him at bayonne it's been a crazy couple of years with covid obviously probably not what what you thought you were signing up for, but how have you managed to set in. You, you enjoying life in Poe? How's it going with the family?
3: Yeah, overall we are enjoying it. Um Po a great place in the southwest. Um but as you did allude to it's been a it's it's been a crazy um a crazy time with what's going on around the world. Uh, so to uh, so, so uproots um from New Zealand and come the other side of the world. And I think we're here three months and yeah, we're in straight into that lockdown. So it's um, been a little bit different to the the normal experience, but um, you know we're we're happy um, where we are and enjoying the, the French life. But obviously we're still um, also hoping that things will come back to some sort of normality and get people back in the stands and 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 enjoy some of those other things that um, we probably took for granted when we first came.
2: When you see the videos from back home where you guys were all living completely normal almost it must be a heartbreaker right because you, you know that potentially two flights away you can go home and you don't know and I know a lot of guys who, who went and, 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 and basically couldn't come back and that's my question did you ever think of, of going back because long story short in October I, I came down to Paul to commentate Paul Worcester in, in Challenge Cup and it was the week where the coaches got sacked and I was speaking Hi. to poor Paul Tito who was telling me that horrendous story poor thing Basically, doing the comparison of Konrad Smith, who went back to to NZ, you know, to go and enjoy his family and him, he's Paul, he sent his family before him and the week that he's about to embark on the plane and he's done all the lineouts and all that and he's about to go, the president sacks the coaches, he becomes head coach. And so he's not allowed to go anymore because he's no longer a lineout coach, you know, that can leave for three weeks, he becomes head coach. So he was obviously chuffed to be to be head coach, don't get me wrong. But still, it's it's a proper heartbreak.
3: Yeah, I mean, that's just uh, one of probably many stories of different things. You know, you really feel for um, guys with uh, that example. You know, Paul's got his family at home uh, back in New Zealand, uh, living a, a more or less normal life with um, restaurants, everything open. And, you know, um, that'd be pretty breaking for him, obviously, probably being really excited to leave and then yeah there's been a few uh, changes around and, and his role looked pretty different um, the following week so yeah I mean that's just an example of COVID-19 uh, and yeah it's, it's it's been a bit of a bugger in a lot of ways.
1: And apart from COVID what are the main cultural differences between New Zealand and France both rugby and not rugby because we often talk about the differences in coaching the differences in lifestyle but from a first-hand experience, how have you found it and what are the main differences?
3: Um, with the footy, I mean, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's different. It's taken me a little bit of time to sort of get used to um, the footy. And, and It is a little bit different to Super Rugby. Obviously, the length of the seasons, probably one of the first things people talk about. And I think at home, generally, the players probably have quite a lot of structure around them. Um, and they, the players probably have quite a lot of input in, in terms of what goes on during the week and around strat and stuff. But yeah i mean it's it's different here it's probably a bit more play what you see um the guys have got a huge amount of um passion and emotion invested into the what they do in the region and and that just uh that's quite cool and you see how uh, invested they get into it in terms of culturally you know beautiful and around here down the southwest the Pyrenees, quite out of your comfort zone when you come and you, you don't really speak any french and there's some guys that don't speak any English and you, you're sort of chucked in the deep end. And yeah, but it's it's, uh, it's what life is and putting you in the um, out of your comfort zone and, and just sort of enjoying those little things.
0: Like obviously you've been, you've captained All Black's huge challenges. Are you finding this almost an even bigger challenge, the language barrier, different coaches, the sort of volatility that we all expect from French rugby one minute to the next you don't know where you where you are has that been a bigger challenge almost in captaining the big teams that you've been part of before being part of this post side that like it's been a tough season Has this year been a real challenge mentally with COVID and also the rugby in the club has it been a battle
3: yeah yeah you're right there's different challenges um it's quite funny even the last, end of um last season before the confinement happened we were um I think we won our last game against Montpelier at home and we'd had a few losses strung in a row and uh Bender and I were celebrating like, no tomorrow. Sorry, uh, Ben Smith and I, and and uh he said, oh, this is better than winning the World Cup because we sort of had a bit of a laugh at um, how important it is to win at home. And it was quite a funny sort of uh relief, I guess, and some of that pressure as you alluded to.
0: That's crazy. I don't think people understand the pressure that comes in top 14 rugby. And like we compare it to what's going on in English football, they're looking for something to be ring fenced and to have no relegation and no promotion, but ultimately it's that shit fight that people love. <laughs> That's why top 14 rugby is so entertaining because you've got all these teams in the south of France battling with each other and that emotion that it gives both the players in the changing room, like I've been through it with Bayonne, and we got relegated and it was heartbreaking. But then if you manage to scrape up and you stay up and you do it for your town, it's unbelievable. Um, so I can only imagine what that night out was like when you achieved it. Um, tell us a bit more about the pressure. Like Obviously it's not, this season hasn't gone great. You're in, you're in the relegation battle is there a certain element, especially for Fish, like Paul Tito, his first job as head coach in top 14. It must be tough, like grafting each week and trying to pull yourselves through against loads of other teams in the same situation. There must be a lot of pressure. Is it, is it quite tough to deal with?
3: Yeah, you're right. There is a lot of pressure. You alluded to the the, the relegation, is something we don't probably um, have experience with playing back home. And as you said, the Southwest is full of um, rugby teams, the culture and and... The towns and, and um, surrounding locals are all invested in their teams, and you know, like even now, um, before we get on the bus and stuff, there's um, there's fans there just wanting to, I guess, be a part of it, and it's it's hard on them. Um, and you do feel the the passion that they have for the team, which is really really cool. Um, and as you said, you don't want to be in these bottom parts. And um, yeah, we've got five five massive games to finish the season, so each one's really important.
0: And how is Big Fish getting on? I played against him. He used to be at Cardiff. I played back in the Pro 14 with Glasgow. Played against him for years. Great guy. Enjoyed a beer after the game every week as well. How is he getting on in his first role in Top 14? Is he enjoying it being head coach at Poe?
3: Yeah, I was obviously missing his family, but he's uh, he's enjoying the challenge of Top 14. And um, I think his area around the set piece and the line-out, um, he's really enjoying that and, and had a really good um, influence on um how we've been operating in, in general the lineup's been really good in terms of performing in the top 14 and his best thing is he's uh his relationships with all the guys the french guys the foreigners um and as you sort of said he's he's sort of come from that um era of enjoying what you do love what you do celebrate the small stuff um but put your head down and work bloody hard and um he, he's he's done really well in a lot of those areas
2: yeah, I was just going to say he's done really well with also my mate Thomas Domingo who's uh, okay. <laughs> to be honest if there's one dude that I would have never seen to become coach him <laughs> and, and, he, and he was my roomie in the French team he was my roomie with, with Clermont I absolutely adore this dude he's a brother for me um, that's everything he believes in is what you said celebrating the little things and the passion the heart the passion you know just give everything for everything you've got around it so just a word on, on, on Doming, who's like he always said his. You couldn't tell him. He always said that his his grandfather was a ninja. That's why he's got all those tats on him and, and this. But he's, man, he's he's the shortest and the fattest ninja you've ever seen. But, but he's he's an absolutely lovely bloke. Um, I wish him all, all the best. And I think you've got. I don't know how his technical ability. I don't know. But I know that you've definitely have got a guy who's got a heart big like a big like a truck there who's ready to help you.
3: Yeah, he's obviously a French legend, and uh, and he's obviously held up the front row and um, French scrums for for a long time. And um, I think the poor bugger can't really run anymore. So he's oh my god, uh, he's a big guy. He's, uh, he's, uh, he's had
2: he had so- <laughs> <laughs> well, Have you seen him do crossfit? Yeah, you know, he's-, <laughs> well, he's gonna kill me! He's gonna kill me! He barely he only, hes the only crossfit guy who doesn't bend his knees. So he's yeah. strong <laughs> he can be from his upper body strength is freakish. Like he was a tiny dude who would bench 180, 190 on a good day. Like he was really extraordinarily strong, but he can't squat for his life. His knees are basically crumbling from inside. He doesn't have any cartilage in either of them. Uh, and I think poor thing, he's he's going to have like straight straight legs for the rest of his life.
3: But he's doing well. He's, um, his English has, uh, has really come on, I think with uh, coaching with Paul Tito, because uh, Paul's French isn't that great. And obviously Thomas' English isn't that good, but they've sort of somehow met in the middle. And um, <laughs> I think there's a few times they look at each other and, um, but they seem to get on really, really well and complement each other.
2: Just to finish on the high note, Le Stade du Hameau of the Section Palois, when oh. they sing, what is it, La onada, before the games and on big wins and stuff, it's electric, right? It's special. So that passion is obviously can can this not serve you against Bayonne. I mean, to be honest, it was a pretty shit game for 70 minutes and you guys finished strong at the end. So that pressure can sort of get people to come into their shells a little bit. But when it's out, it's beautiful.
3: Yeah, that's right. Like, um, Fortunate enough to have a few games when the hummus uh is full. And as you said, the the singing is is something quite different to what we experience at home. And it really does sort of give you a lift and um and and, and make you, you know, want to really go out there and um put your best foot forward. And, and obviously after the a good one against Bayonne at home last week, you know, the just when that whistle went, you could sort of see the I guess flow of emotion from the guys you know just it's been it's been hard and and working really hard and to get a great result was just um just just what we needed
0: it was a crazy game as well there were 39 penalties there were five cards one of them red (laughs) like there can't be many games like that you can compare to in super rugby like looking back at the game what did you make I know you'd be delighted with the win but what do you take from it as a team are you just delighted to get through it or what can you take
3: yeah, I guess uh, there's a bit of um, adversity into, as you said, with penalties. I'm probably guilty there. I spent 10 minutes on the um, sidelines, so um, not ideal for the team. But yeah, I mean, it's um, what was promising is, you know, we sort of had to come back from, I think we would playing with 13, 13 men there for a yep. bit, and, and the way the guys pulled together, especially on defence, and then um, the bench were really good. And, and it wasn't probably until that last 10 minutes, as you said, that we... We just pulled away because it was sort of tip for tip for a lot of that game.
1: And you mentioned it, Luke, five games left, last game of the season, Montpellier at home. Can you see it coming down to that? And if it does, do you know what's in store? Have people prepared you for the potential of a, I don't want to be doom and gloom, but an end of season playoff with the runner up in pro de 2 Because that, again, that's something you won't have experienced anywhere
3: else. Yeah, I mean... Um... We're, we're very aware of where we are on the table and, and, and what's left in the season. I guess having the overviews, we're aware of that, but we've sort of realised that we can't focus, uh, you know, it, it is the cliches, we can't focus too far in front. It's it's all about what we can do today in order to prepare ourselves and best for for the next match, stud front our away, and just pushing all that energy into that. Things can change quickly in five games, uh, and hopefully we can take a bit of momentum from, from the weekend.
0: One boy that's going to help you, I think he's in Po now, but his family's there. Is he still in confinement? So you've got Elton Yanchi, a sign from the South African franchise, the Lions. When does he get to hit the ground and start training with you? And when can he play? Like, obviously, he's there as that recruitment effort for the last four or five games, potentially. But when can he join you in training and when can he start playing?
3: Yeah, I mean, uh, it's obviously great um, to have Elton join the team. He, uh, as far as I understand, he's he's arrived, but he's, uh, from coming from South Africa, he's got to... Um, spend a, a bit of time in the hotel and isolate um and obviously he's got other things like medicals and things to to, to pass or as you'll know there's, there's a fair bit of that to go through before you even sort of get on the training field so um hopefully you know he i'm sure he's got a lot to to bring and add to the group so hopefully uh sooner than later as you said there's only uh, a few games yeah i think
1: it's may may the 8th. Johnny, so he, four, four games. So I don't know how many euros he's getting for four games, but...
0: A lot of zeros. That's I say, he's got four games. He's got Agen. So you'll miss France this weekend, but then he can play against Agen away, Racing at home, La Rochelle away, and then the big one, Montpellier at home. So there's four games to crack it, really, and make
3: sure you stay up. Yeah, it is going to be intense.
0: And so, mate, going back, obviously I mentioned earlier that I played with Adam. Was it when you came over and visited... I remember chatting to Sam as well at our training fields in Bayonne. Was it when you came over and visited adam that you decided and you had to look around and you saw Paul, and you saw Bayonne. was it then that you decided that you want to come and try france or has it always been something you wanted to do or was it more the fact adam was here and you had a glimpse and you're like this is for me like what was it that made you have that itch and want to come over
3: yeah i mean obviously it was pretty cool back then um to come over and visit adam and uh a lovely part of the world i guess we were just sort of obviously trying to draw on the experience he's had and yeah i mean we're sort of you know that rugby is a short career and um Always thought, you know, there could be an opportunity to come over one day. I guess it was a little bit um wanted to do some other things before making that decision to come. But um yeah, the the timing and and we thought the the fit was right to come to to Poe. And yeah, I mean it wasn't until a few, few years after that, I guess, when we visited. But um I know Adam really enjoyed the, the culture and 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 you know, you talked about the passion, the fans and just a, a little bit of a different, you know, quite refreshing coming from home. I think played nine seasons of Super Rugby and just thought a little change up would be good. So yeah, it, it's definitely been a change up, uh, obviously all around the world. So just making the most of sort of every opportunity we get.
1: Johnny have you got any stories on Adam? Because I mean, you were telling us he had an interesting nickname, didn't you?
3: Yes, you know, you're talking about the culture, but he, um,
0: like he was the one <laughs> bloke that absolutely threw himself. Like if there was a wine tasting, there was. Jean Bond Bayonne Bayon to be tasted. He was just there. If he was playing Patonk with old fellas, like he, him, and, him and his Mrs. Tiff, they threw themselves into everything. But his nickname was Zeus. And he was really shy about coming forward and telling us how. So you can you give us a little bit of why and how did he get the nickname Zeus?
3: <laughs> uh, yeah, as you said, Adam, uh, he's not afraid to go around and, and immerse himself with everyone in the team. And as you said, if there's if there's an opportunity to... to to go see something or go experience something he's sort of first to, to do it and uh and I could just imagine him he wouldn't have been able to speak too much French but he'd be oh, in mate, there trying it. and batting away and uh everyone gets a little bit better after a couple of beers and um but in terms of his nickname I guess he always tried to think of himself as the uh the Greek god or, and he's just the sort of guy I guess um the ultimate sort of teammate he's he's as uh you see him every day works bloody hard and He's always there for a yarn and he sort of then just picked it up and the boys used to sort of call him Zeus, you know, the the sort of the ultimate sort of man and such. And I don't know if the boys chanted it too much for him, but he, he'd get out there. Yeah, uh, they did. We did.
1: Did he give that nickname to himself, Luke? Or yeah, did he did probably that? did. <laughs> <fair>. <laughs> and we mentioned Adam um, and Johnny mentioned that that Sam went over to visit as well. You went over to visit. Have you, have you put a word in with Sam? Is he, is he fancy? Going over to France at some point?
3: Yeah, I'd hope so. But I mean, uh, he's—I think he's currently signed to the next World Cup. But um, we're, uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. We're sort of, you know, you probably want to come experience this, and there's sometimes some more things to rugby, and and you know, you only get a small window to potentially uh, experience some of this. So yeah, I mean, we'll be in his ear, but he seems to be uh, in the spot at the moment in terms of what's going on around the world, and um, got a young family, and I think. Hopefully, he'll uh, be around to play the World Cup and it wouldn't be a better place to play than in France. You imagine the, that first first game uh, in Paris against the French um, gives me sort of goosebumps thinking about it right now. Has
0: he got your ticket sorted?
3: <laughs> yeah, there'll be, be probably a few, I'd say, uh, trying to get a hold of some tickets for that. Yeah.
0: Family first though, you'll be
3: top of the list, don't worry. Blood, blood's thicker than water, we say. So
1: yeah. <laughs> and more importantly, you have uh, I think you've got another year on your contract at power after this one. Um, so hopefully we'll have fans back and you'll have a, a better year the next year than we've had the last year. But um you fancy staying after that or is it kind of wait and see and maybe head back home?
3: No, ideally we would like to stay. Um, obviously we've got a bit of time between now and then. I sort of feel like the you sort of spend your first year here, you, you know, you're battling away with the language and it's not till you start to understand it. And then obviously you probably, your speaking comes a little bit after that, but then you really start to, to get those little things of what it is to be a professional footy player and the the jokes and the, and just understanding the culture. And and I think like the, the best part of the experience is, is yet to come.
1: Definitely. Well, thanks ever so much for joining us, Luke and um, massive good luck for the next five games. Big ones.
3: Yeah. Cheers. Thank you. I'm uh, I've been a naughty boy three times this year, so I think I've got a week off, uh, oh, which is oh. a good
1: <laughs> You can go and um, play Patank with the old man of
3: Poe for a week, like your brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they're pretty good, the old Frenchies at that. Or you can go
2: have a crock uh, do a CrossFit session with Doming because you'll fly <laughs> through it, mate. There'll be no issue.
0: Or you can get on the beers with fish. Get on the beers with Paltita. it's much better. <laughs> Cheers, Luke. Cheers, mate. Cheers,
2: good luck, Lux. mate. Good luck, buddy. Cheers. See ya
1: another southern hemisphere star who sounds like he's settling well in France
2: I mean I think he he was really nice it's it's a it's a proper heartbreak all those stories I mean, listen, there's heartbreaks everywhere in the world. I'm not trying to say there's only the Kiwis and this and that, but when you you travel the world you, you, to and you go so far away from your family and stuff, and then you get videos non-stop of life just being completely normal over there. Worst, like Paul Tito, you send your family so that you know they're okay. And every night you die, and then you're just battling for the moment where you can finally go and see them and you get your big outbreak as a as a head coach. And I'm sure, I mean, in his mind, it must have been it must have been a proper heartbreak. So I feel for those guys, but I feel for everyone, the world is completely upside down at the moment. We're just hopefully we' we're, we're at the end of the beginning of the t- final tunnel. <laughs> and we just have to to, to to you know to keep on dragging ourselves through that one and hopefully we'll get on the other side. Hello, I'm Garen Thomas,
1: and I'm Tom Fordyce. And this is your official invite to come and join our brand new cycling club. Now, good news, it's a podcast too. So you can come and listen to us, try and build this club from scratch. And we'll have a few familiar faces joining us for the ride too. Right, G, time to tell everyone what we've called this club.
3: Well, we thought long and hard about this. So we come up with a
1: strong original name that really stands out. The Geraint Thomas Cycling Club. Yeah, I suppose it's easy to remember at least, isn't it? We will have new episodes for you every single Tuesday. Come and join us. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. We chatted to Luke about Poe's win over Bayern, and a lot of the other derby games that we spoke about last week were postponed because of COVID. But you were commentating on Cast's win over Toulouse, weren't you, Johnny? Yeah, and
0: it was a cracker. A young boy, I won't, I'm not sure you'll have heard of him Tim, Ben, you might have heard of him. He was, a, he was a Wasp. So Tim, you might have heard of him. Yeah, Thibaut Flammeau. Unbelievable. Like he's a proper player. He's going to be in the French team within two years. He was free, oh, freakishly good. He used to play fly ten. half for Loughborough University. He played 10. And mate, he was insane. So like line out time, won everything. Every time it's a loose ball, it's him catching it, offloading, like chucking the ball at the back of his hand, like freakish, really good to watch, controlled the line out, scored a try, can ball carry. Toulouse also, they scored one of the best tries. Yes. I've seen the top 14 from their own try line. Um, started by an old teammate of mine, Max Marty. who was on loan at Bayonne. Hitch kick, does the, <laughs> does the Fijian winger at cast, all the way up like a 100-meter try. Um, flicks the ball inside to, was it Matisse Labelle again? Scored another one from 100 meters. Like, I think he's the record try scorer, top 14 this season. But look, French kids, the front row they had, I think it was Nettie, Movaca Aldeguerre. But the rest of the team was kids. Yeah, Joe Takori on the bench, uh, really good. So like really talented bunch of academy kids coming through. Great game to commentate on. And it almost felt like a Toulouse win at the end because they came back and should have won the game. It it was cast to win. They were bullying them with scrum, with um, Maul bludgeoning them. Um, But some of the Toulouse stuff, they strung together, the offloads again. You think they move all those first choice players out. They play the exact same way offloading, keeping the ball live. Uh, so really fun to watch. And at the end, they were delighted. They'd lost the game, but moral victory, huge for them moving forward. And for the young, like French kids coming through, mate, they were really, really impressive. So no, it was a really fun game. Loved, loved watching that one. And yeah, Thibaut Flamand, watch the space is all I'm saying. I reckon he's going to be the next,
2: the next big thing. The only thing is that he need, he needs to climb over a couple of big things to get into that starting lineup <laughs> because there's the Arnold brothers, there's Jody Corey, there's loads. But yeah, I've heard only good things and apparently a great kid with a great great past of you know, a bit of a traveler. Went to Loughborough, but went a bit everywhere. Really interesting backstory. Um, that is adoring his rugby at the moment. But when you know how good Toulouse can be when everybody's there, they're pretty scary for the end of the season. I think they've got they're back at their absolute best. With the depth that we all know that Toulouse can bring, because basically for guys who don't know, Toulouse's their reputation has always been that there's always been a new. Is like the All Blacks, 2015, uh, no new Conrad Smith, uh, what's it called, Richie McCaw, uh, Mealamu, you know all those the, the the hundred caps, the the centurions they call the Dan Carter, obviously all those guys retired. They're like, how the hell are they gonna do it? Well, you've got Boden, Barrett, Aaron Smith. There's always a guy behind you. You're thinking, how the hell do they just create, generate, not just good talent, but outstanding talent? And that's what Toulouse have done generation after generation after generation. Then they had a bit of a dip for a couple of seasons. And obviously that coincided with the fact that as soon as the Dussaultoirs, the Albacetes and all those guys... And uh, I don't know, and Fritz basically either weren't there because they were too old or weren't there because they were international duty. Then they just couldn't survive. So now as soon as you see those young guys, that means that they're always going to be constantly good. They're going to be challenged with And that's when they get scarily, scarily good.
1: Well, Toulouse will be in European action the weekend after this one. But Bordeaux, their game with Montpellier in the top 14 this weekend looks like it may well be off because of positive COVID tests in their camp. So should we be worried? Do you think that makes it harder, Benji? Lack of conditioning.
0: Yeah. So the fact that they get a rest week effectively, or they're not going to be as match up, I can guarantee Christoph Urios is going to boot them up and down the pitch to get them ready, no matter what. But do you think that makes it harder, knowing that they've got to play to lose away in two weeks' time in a knockout game without having prep this week, with having their game cancelled this week? Do you think it makes it tougher? Listen,
2: I've, I I never know how to answer those questions because I always felt that there was nothing that could replace match fitness. Uh, I know the backs for what they do on a rugby pitch, which is considered like they, they run really, really fast because they're really, really scared. And they just, you know, give themselves each other high fives and kick after the ball from time to time. Uh, and, you know, practice, uh, try celebrations and all that. But for forwards, I think the only thing you can do is to is to play. But number and number of times again, have uh, teams proven me wrong. I just think, like you said, it's a matter of good coaches putting a a proper strategy in place. And if that means getting beasted during the week or extra squeezing every cent of mental focus that they can get from them, they will. And it's a semi-final Champions Cup. So I don't think that will be a a, a question. I don't think it will be an excuse that will even be put forward irrespective of the result.
1: And we knew he was going at the end of the season, but Gail Ficus joined wrestling already, hasn't he? He's gone from Stade Francais and Hans Peter Wilde's been speaking out about it. He isn't happy, Benji, is he? Well, I don't really understand that one, to be honest.
2: <laughs> Nobody Gail does. does. Gail Fiku is... For one, a top dude, an extraordinary player, who is not, I don't know, I don't want to put any bad images on anyone, but he's not like the unreliable guy, you know, who, uh, no. who leaves and, and and doesn't commit and this and that. He came to Paris. He, I mean, he didn't break anybody's fingers to get them to sign that contract, right? And he's an extraordinary player who gives all his bets. I mean, you will see highlights, saw highlights of him playing against the was Club Toulouse, I think it was last year at the beginning of the season, where he did a 70-meter break on his own. He, he's been outstanding. And now I think basically it, he didn't say that he wanted to leave the racing. It's Stad who are having a bit of they want to make some you know get rid of that salary cap sort of issue. They wanted to lean up their 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 playing um, their playing squad. And so Gael Fico, obviously being one of the highest earners, if not the highest earner, was was then tempted with the agents doing their job of getting a deal there and saying, yeah, I want to go. So. Listen, I I think it's very random then that the president, who sort of sort of initiated this thing from the start, because it's a problem that Stade Français had, not Gail Fico, who wanted to leave. Um, I found it very very surprising, quite disappointing, and un, unusefully hurtful to Gail Fico, who's a top dude.
0: I find it really bizarre. So uh, the details of his contract came out, that like the president came out and said, we signed him on a five-year, one million euro a year deal. Like you yep. gave him the contract that like you, you gave him the contract is then Thomas Lombard came out early in the week and said, we have to lower our mass salarial, So our salary cap, so our figures are right at the end of the year. So we're looking to offload. But then the president's come back and
2: said, he's a scumbag for jumping ship. You know what he did there, uh, the, the president, when he put the numbers in the press, it's he's horrible. basically making Galifico look bad for saying, oh, listen, he's getting a million what he's getting a million, this yeah, guy, you get, and you then all of a sudden, a... no, but hang on, they can say that it's it's uh before tax, after tax, charge pas charge, you know, basically oh, yeah. how much it costs the company and not how much actually the players get. They can play around with numbers, I think it's just that's another, um, a bit of hit of the knife, that's horrible for no reason to be like, why does he want to leave if he's getting paid that much? That's that's the reaction he wants to get out. It's a
0: it. lack of class as well for any president to come out and name a rugby player's salary, what they take home or don't take home, or after tax or net it's a big lack of class for me for my president to come out and, and throw that around the national press. Like that's really poor form. But like uh, my understanding was, and what's been happening in the press over here is that they have to reduce their salary bill. So it's kind of been both parties. It's not a Gail Fiku forcing his way out. Um, so look, I feel really bad for Gail. It, pretty much this has been the best season I've seen him have for four or five seasons. He's been outstanding for Stade France and for France. Um, he's not done anything wrong. He's had some injuries, but every time he's played, he's been superb. So Look, I just think it's really poor by a president to come out and and drop figures like that in national life. Man, that sucks. You imagine to come out and naming how much... It'd be embarrassing for me, it could be so little. You'd be all right if you're Gail Ficou <laughs> and you're getting paid a million a year, but like really poor show. I think that's really poor by a president.
1: And the longest shot of it is saying Fronseca are going to miss him for the last five games of the season and wrestling will benefit. It's, so what kind
0: of message does that send out really that now people can... Like it's, it's, tra- it's football, isn't it? Like you transfer, transfer a strategy in the middle of the season... Okay, Stavron say we're a selling club. We've missed out. They're aiming for an all-black, apparently a 12-13 for next season. Let's get them off the book, save a bit of cash because we can't make the top six, but they're not that far away. Like it's still possible. So what kind of message does it send out to the rest of the squad? That front say now, well, lads, we're just gonna get rid of on our like we've got you on my Fiku, two of our biggest paid players, we we'll just let one of them go. It doesn't matter. Just see the rest of the games out and focus on next year. Like how does that affect the squad mentally? <laughs> Knowing that your best player, France's
2: defensive, like vice captain defensive leader, has just been shown the door. Like it's really bizarre. I mean, look what's happening at football with that super league or super cup or whatever it's called. And you hear all the guys talking. They're like, no, how can we generate the most revenue for the clubs who lost hundreds of millions? That's all they're talking about. Yep. They're saying, what do people want to see on a daily basis? They want to see the top teams play, the top guys regularly, nonstop, no pressure of going down. We can guarantee you that they will be there because there's no qualification. You know, they don't need to qualify to get there. So they're only talking about that. So clubs at the moment, unfortunately, but you can't really blame them At the same time. The world of sport has been hit, like took a proper slap in the face and a kick in the nuts and a stab in the back at the same time, basically. And and so they're chasing for cash everywhere and they're trying to find some everywhere. But so clearly, like you said, Johnny, it's, it's a sad message to give to your team. But unfortunately, it's the reality of the stress that are the all the, the team owners and team managers that they are under. Because at the moment, the sporting decisions are pretty, basically like, I don't know, bottom of the pile in, in the hierarchy of the decision-making. Business It's becoming money and b- money business number one because it's a matter of survival.
0: As we're recording though, Benji, Chelsea and Man City have decided that they are leaving the Super League because of go. fan backlash. So there you go. Fan backlash and sporting reasons have come to the fore and the lack of class tastelessness of some owners has been
2: Told to F off. Speaking about F offs, can can I just share with you guys <laughs> that after the after my little chat of the Brieve clermont Derby that didn't happen because of because the game got postponed, I got absolutely battered on social media by people, some very aggressive comments. Uh, told me that I shat on Brieve, I shat on their whole history, that that lacked respect of the club. Hang on, I never spoke about the city, I never spoke about the club on, on, on itself. I was just talking about how out of proportion the animosity, the angerness, the 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 the, the, yeah, the physical rivalry of hatred was, I think, to my eyes, in my humble opinion, was affecting the, 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 the derby between Clermont and Brive. I did say something stupid. I said there was 20,000 people in Brive, there's 50,000. An apology. That, that is true. That was a mistake of mine. Failed your French test, mate. Absolutely, another question. Ab- absolutely. But the rest is only my humble opinion. If you don't like it, n- not a problem. We can always debate about it. Just don't insult me. If they felt that it was in a disrespectful manner, I apologize. But it wasn't. It was simply a way of saying It's sport. So I respect the heart, the passion the give yourself for your team 150% when it's about hatred, insults, and just and like, and I'm not saying everybody's like that. I'm saying there's one or two idiots that that I think it, that come out of their shell because it's the Derby and that I didn't like.
1: Thanks, Benji. Thanks, Johnny. A big thanks to Luke Whitelock for joining us as well. And a big thanks to all of you guys for listening. Make sure you hit subscribe, leave us a nice review, and we'll be back with another episode next week. Au revoir, guys. Cheers, Cheers fellas.